Many Witnesses to the Truth. That's the title of the sermon this morning, taken from this passage in 1 John chapter 5. I met a man in Canada a few weeks ago. I was attending this international conference of the Reformed Churches. He was a retired minister. And he, in passing conversation, said to me, you know, there are times in my ministry when I wondered if I was just talking rubbish. He actually used stronger language than I'm prepared to use from the pulpit this morning to the congregations that he ministered to. I'm going to call him Pastor Thomas. That wasn't his real name. He wondered at times whether he was just talking rubbish when he spoke about the gospel. The gospel. The good news that God loved the world so much that he gave his only son to die for the sins of other people who needed their sins forgiven. The gospel is good news because salvation and eternal life and a home in heaven are guaranteed through Jesus Christ. If the gospel is true, then surely, surely it is the very best of good news. But the question this retired pastor had struggled with at times was, is it really true? You might be asking yourself the same question this morning, or perhaps you have in times past. You might be someone who's grown up in the church and you've accepted all of the teaching you've heard. But sometimes, like Pastor Thomas, maybe you stop and think, is it really true? Could it be a myth, a legend, an outdated form of religion? The times in our lives when we can be brought to questions like these, when we experience grief, sadness, loss, disappointment. We might think, well, this gospel, this good news, it's true for other people, but is it true for me? Maybe you know someone who is struggling with the truthfulness of the scripture, and you're not sure what to say to them. Perhaps you're someone who's come here this morning because you're looking for an answer to the troubles and the complexities and the painfulness of life. Maybe you're someone who's been searching for a long time but you haven't found satisfaction. This passage this morning uses the word testify eight times in the English translation. It's actually more in the original Greek. It's the word testify which means to bear witness, to confirm that something is true. See, John wants his, his readers, his listeners, to know the truth and to know that truth with certainty. And so he puts before us this morning a number of witnesses, and we're going to look at those witnesses under four points. The testimony of the water and the blood, the testimony of the Spirit, the testimony of God, and the testimony of the living. Firstly, the testimony of the water and the blood. John says... Christ Jesus came by the water and the blood and that the water and the blood testify, that is they confirm the truth of the gospel. I think everybody here knows what water is. It's a remarkable liquid. Absolutely remarkable. 
It's clear and it's essential for human life. You find it not only in lakes and rivers, you find it in clouds and in glaciers, but also we find it in ourselves. It's essential for human life. You and I also know what blood is. It's a red fluid that flows through our arteries, our veins, our capillaries. And it too is essential for bodily life. But John, you see, is communicating more here than some physiological truth about two very important and necessary liquids. The phrase, the water and the blood, was likely familiar to his uh, original first century readers, but not so clear to many Bible commentators. Three suggestions have been made over time. The first one at the time of the Protestant Reformation, Martin Luther and John Calvin taught that the water referred to baptism the sacrament of baptism, and the blood referred to the sacrament of Lord's Supper. The problem with that is that Jesus didn't come through the sacraments. He instituted them. And the word blood is nowhere used in the scripture to refer to Lord's Supper. The fourth century uh, theologian Augustine of Hippo taught that the water and the blood referred to the time when Christ's side was punctured by the spear. We read of that in John chapter 19. But this water and blood at that time came out of Christ. It's not that he came through it. Although that view does emphasize the death of Christ at Calvary. The third view is that the water refers to the baptism of Jesus himself, as we heard it from the chapter, first chapter of John's Gospel, and the blood to his sacrificial death. And that makes sense. The same Jesus who went down into the Jordan River was baptized by John is the same Jesus who was pierced by thorns, nails, and a spear. This Jesus who came down from heaven, who is the Son of God, is the same one who was baptized and then died. See, at the time John was writing, there were people who taught that uh, Jesus was um, just a ghost. He just seemed to be a man. That God had descended upon him at his baptism and, and then left him before he died. And John is saying, no, that's not true. Jesus came by the water and the blood. He wants to emphasize that the same Jesus who went into the Jordan and received that baptismal water is the same God-man who was crucified. What this is emphasizing is that the Bible is a historical account of the life the conception, the birth, the life, the death, the resurrection, the ascension of Jesus Christ. Nobody has ever been able to prove that the Bible isn't true. Many have tried. In fact, in attempting to show at different places that the Bible is historically inaccurate, many people have come to realize just how incredibly accurate the Bible is. See, the Christian faith is unique amongst all religions practiced everywhere in the world in that the Bible is the historical truth upon which the faith is grounded. The Bible is the place where we read that Jesus describes himself exactly as he is, God's only begotten Son. What do you think Pastor Thomas did when these doubts arose in his mind? He went back to the Bible. 
and he read it again. He went back to this history book, which is the Bible. From the very first verse in the beginning, God created the heavens and earth. To the very last words, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. The Bible contains a true historical account of the work of God so that we may know that Jesus is real, not some fictitious idea or concept. Encourage us this morning. If you're someone who is doubting today whether this is really true, or you know someone who is, read the Bible. Read the Gospel of John. Read together with someone who knows the Lord, and you will surely find Jesus Christ in these pages. For they reveal to us who God is and what He's done. The testimony of the water and the blood. Secondly, the testimony of the Spirit. When you heard the words water and blood, you knew what they were because you, like me, are familiar with these physical substances because you, like me, are a physical being. If your eyes are functional, you can read this Bible. You can read the words. If your ears work, you can hear the scripture read. And if you were blind, you could run your fingers over the page, an embossed page with the letters of Braille, and you would be able to sense through touch this word of God. But like me, you are more than your body. You're more than physical. You're a spiritual being. And this is what it means for all of us to be made in God's image, that we are body and soul. We're fundamentally different from, from all the other species on the planet. The very way in which the first man was created is different. We read that God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living creature. We are uniquely as human beings, body and soul. We alone can worship God. We alone are being given rule as God's steward over this world. And so we are spiritual beings by God's design. And so it's not surprising then that God communicates to us not only through this physical word that we may read, and hear and even touch, but that he communicates to our soul, spiritually, supernaturally. And John writes about this witness, the Spirit. The Spirit is the one who testifies, he says in verse 6, because the Spirit is the truth. John is referring to the Holy Spirit, the Spirit that Jesus promised when he said to his disciples, when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of Truth, who proceeds from the Father. He will bear witness about me. Jesus promised that there would be another witness, which would be a supernatural spiritual witness who would live within his people and testify to the truth, bear witness to the truth, that Jesus is the Lord and Savior of God's people. The Spirit who impresses this truth on people's hearts so that they are convicted and know that this is true. Jesus describes this testifying work this way in John 16. He says, When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak of his own author on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. 
God promises that as we read the Bible, as we read this revelation, as we read his word, that the Holy Spirit will help us to know and understand the truth. And so when John writes in verse 8, these three agree. The external historical testimony of the Bible regarding the life and death of the God-man Jesus and the internal testimony of the Holy Spirit. We shouldn't be surprised that there was agreement because Jesus had promised that the Spirit would guide his people into all truth. You know, it was the trial of Jesus where lies were told to discredit him. And Mark records many bore false witness against him, but their testimony did not agree. But the testimony of the Word and the Spirit agreed. And that's important because as we heard from Deuteronomy chapter 19, that a matter is confirmed, sustained on the basis of two or more witnesses. Are you someone this morning who is struggling to know whether Jesus is real? Whether he's someone who really died for you? You've heard about him? You've read about him perhaps? struggling to know whether he's really your saviour. Read the Bible and pray that the Holy Spirit will guide you into the truth, that your soul may be certain of this truth, the testimony of the Spirit, and thirdly, the testimony of God. Now, you and I regularly accept what we hear and read, you and I, most of us probably surf the internet. We can't just accept everything on the internet. I mean, if Jenny and I were to tell you that we generally had a wet and coolish time in England and Scotland, in fact, the temperature in York where I was a few days ago is about the same as it is in Christchurch today. Isn't that wonderful? We're wintertime, August in Christchurch. But if I was to tell you about the weather in England, would you believe me? I could show you, well, I could have shown you yesterday my rain jacket, which was still dry. John makes the point in verse 9, if we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. If I testify to the weather in England, hopefully you'll believe me, but the testimony of God about everything is so much greater. Because when you and I, people like us, testify to something, there are a number of possible reasons why our witness may be unreliable. It's possible that we may purposefully lie. I might just be trying to paint a really bad picture about the United Kingdom. Not true. It's possible that we may think we're telling the truth, but we haven't remembered events correctly. It didn't rain every day. It's possible that what we say is true, but it's not complete. See, God is different. He always speaks the truth. He never lies. He never forgets. And he's revealed to us in his word exactly everything and all that we need to know to be at peace with him and to have life in his son. And John writes, this is the testimony of God that he is born concerning his son. In fact, when John writes this, he, he literally writes, this is the testimony of God that he has testified. And he writes it in such a way as to say this is the testimony, the witness that God has given that he still gives. God has preserved this truth for us 
a truth that has not changed. Well, some people will say, well, well, what word is that? There are so many different translations of the Bible. How, how can I trust what I have in front of me? Well, it's true there are many different translations. But with the knowledge of the original languages, the Hebrew and Aramaic of the Old Testament and the Greek of the New, we can check to see that what we read in our own language accurately reflects what's there in the original. Now, some of you may know that there is a small percentage of difference between the different manuscripts that we have in existence that have been copied in times past from which the Bible is translated. The variation between manuscripts in the New Testament is less than 1%. There is no other book in the history of the world that has been so faithfully and accurately copied down. And here in verse 7, we see, or in fact you won't see in the ESV, uh, one of these variations. If you were to line the ESV Bible up with the, the King James Bible, you would find quite a difference in verse 7. The King James Version would say, For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. Whereas the Bible that you have in front of you just says, For there are three that testify. The extra words in the King James Version don't appear in any Greek manuscript version or quotation before the 15th century AD. They first appear in a, an obscure Latin manuscript and they found their way into the King James Version because Erasmus, who did the translation, included them in his third edition of the English text. It's correct that this extra set of words that are present in the King James Version is not in the Bible you have in front of you. Thank you for that. But we can be comforted that those words are still true. The word of the Holy Spirit and the Father do bear witness to Christ together. And we see even in this that God has wonderfully preserved this word so that his abiding testimony of the truth of the gospel is reliable. And the Bible makes this astonishing claim and says that all of the words of Scripture are God-breathed, that God himself is the very author of all that we have before us. And so that means that the whole Bible is as true as God himself is true. You know, Satan once asked Eve that devious question, did God actually say? And the answer is yes, God did say. God has spoken and he has testified to the truth of Jesus Christ, this God-man who came and died for others. You can be sure about that. God himself testifies. And finally, the testimony of the living. See, the purpose of all these, these witnesses, these testimonies, is to evoke faith and trust in Christ so that we believe in him. When a person believes this truth, they themselves become a testimony to the truth. John writes in verse 10, whoever believes the Son of God has the testimony in himself. And many of you may know that the word testimony here is the word from which we get our English term martyr, martyr, literally a person who voluntarily suffers death as the penalty of witnessing to and refusing to renounce a belief. And that is what Christians have been doing down through the centuries. Fox's Book of Martyrs is a book which lists a whole range of different people. And I'm just going to quote from the section in Fox's Book of Martyrs dealing with Polycarp, Bishop of Smyrna who when he was before the proconsul ruler, 
was urged to swear and I will release you. Reproach Christ. He was called to, to deny Christ so that his life would be spared. And you will know these words well, many of you. Polycarp answered, Eight and six year, Eighty and six years have I served him, and he never once wronged me. How then shall I blaspheme my king who hath saved me? And again the proconsul tried to get him to renounce his faith, and Polycarp wouldn't do it, so that he was burned at the stake. He was a martyr, one of many. He gave a living testimony to the truth about Jesus Christ that was so firmly rooted within himself that he was unwilling to live and deny Christ. He would rather die and bear witness. The true witnesses don't have to die in order to proclaim that truth. If you believe that the gospel is the good news and that it's the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, then you have that testimony within you. And the call to you and I again is while we have yet life is to proclaim that truth with the certainty that we have based upon the testimony of God and His Word. Now there's a, a warning here in verse 10. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. This is strong language. This is saying that if you, if you don't believe, if you don't believe this truth about Christ that is so evidently made known to you through the testimonies that you have heard this morning, then you are calling God a liar. Strong language. But true. Unbelief in Jesus Christ is the same thing as calling God untruthful. So John writes about this serious business. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. John puts it so starkly. He says there's no, there's no middle ground here. There's no fence to sit on. You're either on one side or the other. You either believe in this testimony and you have life or else you don't have Jesus and you don't have life. So where are you standing today with respect to Jesus Christ? Pastor Thomas at the conference was candid with me and I respected him for it that he had doubts about the gospel. And I suspect that many of you here this morning at different times have also doubted whether this is really true. But God, you see, anticipates this and gives us these clear testimonies. Two things as I close. Firstly, if you're someone this morning who is yet uncertain You've heard the word. You've heard the stark declaration of the two positions that people are in, either that of belief and life in Christ Jesus or unbelief and not having Christ and not having salvation. And please don't go home uncertain, but speak to somebody. Speak to me or Vicar Bram or one of the elders or one of the Christians here. And finally, 
believe the gospel. Believe the gospel because it has been verified to be true. You can be certain about that. And you can safely and securely base and continue to base your life upon this truth. You can safely and securely go through whatever the Lord providentially brings your way knowing that this is indeed true. That Jesus Christ came to this earth. God took on flesh. That he lived a life of absolute perfection, innocent of any crime. And he went to his death and he died as the God-man really and truly witnessed and verified. And he died not for his own faults, imperfections, sins, rebellion, because he had none of that. He died for you and me, if our faith and trust is in him. Believe this gospel, it's verified to be true. Amen.